Hello and welcome to this Institute for Government event titled Citizens and the Constitution, Education and Engagement. I'm Rebecca McKee, I'm a senior researcher here at the Institute for Government and I'm very pleased to be chairing this event. The British Constitution has always been puzzling and always will be, as a quote from the late Queen as reported by Lord Hennessy. The UK Constitution is complicated. It's a web of institu institutions, processes and responsibilities understood through a precedent as much as it is through various documents and statutes. The UK Constitution is also in transition as it adjusts to major constitutional changes over the past few decades, including devolution and uh, the UK's exit from the EU. Here at the Institute for Government, in partnership with the Bennett Institute for Public Policy, we're conducting a review of the UK Constitution, which this event is part of. But one thing that we keep coming back to in our research is the role that an informed and engaged public should play in the working of the Constitution and in any constitutional change. So using this as a prompt for our discussion this evening, we're asking, do citizens understand or even care about how the UK Constitution works and the role it plays in making government work for them? If they don't, then what can be done to ensure the Constitution and constitutional change has public support and legitimacy? So this evening, with this excellent panel, we'll be exploring the current state of public understanding and interesting constitutional issues, and we will consider what can be done to cultivate an engaged and empowered citizenry, citizenry for this future. So, to get us into this topic, we are joined by uh, Professor Alan Rennick. He's Professor of Democratic Politics at University College London and Deputy Director of UCL's Constitution Unit and my former boss. He recently ran the Democracy in the UK After Brexit project, combining a citizens' assembly and a public survey examining public attitudes to democracy in the UK. We're also joined by Catherine McKinnell. Uh, who's been the Member of Parliament representing Newcastle-upon-Tyne North since 2010 and is the Chair of Parliament's Petitions Committee. I'm sure most of you are familiar with uh, the committee and some of you will have signed at least one of the petitions. Uh, the statistic I found was as of 2019 general election, the e-petitions website had received 23 million unique signatures. So I'm sure there's one or two of you in the room. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, we can't be joined with Liz Morse this evening, it sends her apologies, but we are joined by Tatton Spiller, who is the founder of Simple Politics. Simple Politics provides clear, accurate, impartial information on British politics across multiple platforms, with the updates uh, short enough to be read in under a minute. So, uh, just before we get into our discussion, some more housekeeping notes from me. Uh, if you're online, joining us online, please start sending your questions in via Slido using the Q&A panel that will appear next to your screens. If you see a question that's similar to one that you want to ask, you can upvote it, and that's helpful for us to see what's popular. Um, please also say your name and organisation if you'd like to. We will be live tweeting the event from at IFG Events. Uh, using the hashtag IFGBennettInst. So please do follow and tweet along. And this event is on the record, and video and sound recording of the event will be on our website and on YouTube shortly after. So, Alan, one of the things we talk about is the danger of the Constitution becoming a purely elite exercise, and if the public aren't able to access the information or lack of tools to engage in the processes. So what does your democracy in the UK after Brexit project tell us about whether the public care and what kind of things they care about? Uh, so thank you, Rebecca. It's wonderful to be here uh, and uh, great to see you again. <laughs> great to see a former Constitution Unit person doing wonderful things here at the IFG. Um, yes, as you have said, we, we are doing this uh, project looking at public opinion on democracy and you have kindly given me forewarning of this uh, <laughs> uh, question. So I have some slides uh, in order to take you through uh, some of uh, the findings from the project. Uh, which magically appear. Uh, so this is a project that I have been doing to together with my colleagues uh, Meg Russell and Ben Lauderdale and my former research assistant James Cleaver, who I see is joining us in the audience uh, this evening. So as uh, Rebecca said, the project involves a couple of surveys, large-scale surveys of public opinion, plus a citizens' assembly that took place in 2021. And I'll just quickly take you through a few of the relevant findings for uh, this evening's uh, uh, event. So on this question of whether people care about political process or not, we asked people um, when uh, thinking about politics today, would you say that issues around one issue or another issue are more important to you? And people saw two of the issues randomly selected from this list. 
And so you can see, unsurprisingly, the cost of living, the NHS, are the, the issues that people care about most. But you don't have to go very down that, da, da, far down that list before you get the health of democracy in the UK, the protection of human rights, politicians' moral standards. You can see these issues are on a par with housing, crime, immigration, uh, climate change. Some of us might be a little worried about that being down there. Um, so you can see that people do care about these things. You can also see that there are some more kind of technical issues a bit further down the list. So the balance of power between government and parliament, between uh, judges and politicians and so on. So that's it. that indicates that people do care about the health of democracy, but they don't necessarily have detailed understanding of how the system works. So when it gets into the kind of nuts and bolts of the system, um, they don't have such, uh, most people don't have a very deep understanding of, of how it works. Uh, which takes me on to the next question, how knowledgeable about people are people about political processes? The answer is very unknowledgeable compared to most of the people in this room, I suspect. Uh, and nothing else is going to appear on this slide. I wanted to just tell you about, <laughs> on the Citizens' <laughs> Assembly, uh, from the Citizens' Assembly, it was just a real reminder for me, as someone who you know, looks at lots of survey questions, to uh, engage with people uh, talking about politics and thinking about politics and just be reminded of the degree to which even basic things like what is parliament, what is government, what are the differences between these things are very unfamiliar to many people. And it's vital that we remember that and think about it when we're engaging with these questions. Um, in terms of what pe reforms people would want to the system, again, they want reforms to make politicians more honest. That's their top priority. Uh, uh, there's a lot of concern about the state of discourse in politics, less concern about more institutional things. So the number of people who are interested in the question of whether the country has a written constitution, for example, is very low. Um, as for whether people want to get more involved in politics, well, firstly, we asked them, how much influence do you think people like you have on how the UK is governed? Almost everyone thinks people like them have too little influence, um, or at least they shouldn't have any more influence. Um, but then we asked, to what extent of it all would you ideally like to get involved in politics more than you are? And most people wouldn't like to get more involved in politics <laughs> at all. Um, and when we asked why, three reasons come out very clearly at the top. I don't feel I know enough to get more involved. I don't like, I don't like how politics works. And I don't think I would make a difference uh, by getting more involved. So it's not as though people are rejecting politics entirely. Uh, politics could be better uh, from their point of view, and they might engage a bit more. Uh, but there are these barriers to taking part. Um, just a few thoughts on particular, particular ways of taking part. People are quite ambivalent about referendums. So they agree that there should be referendums on the kinds of issues that we've had referendums on. But on the whole, are not terribly excited about referendums on what other issues. Um, we asked people about whether they like the idea of a citizens' assembly. So explain to them what a citizens' assembly is. I haven't put the explanation on there. Um, most people, yeah, think that's pretty a good idea. Um, but most people have never heard of citizens' assemblies. Maybe some of you haven't heard of citizens' assemblies either. They're a bit of a, an innovative idea of a more deliberative approach to engaging people in uh, politics. So people are fairly kind of lukewarm, but at least kind of persuadable. Um, on petitions, I put the slide on petitions because Catherine's here. <laughs> uh, so we didn't actually ask this in the, uh, in the survey, but in the Citizens' Assembly, 83% uh, supported the idea that petitions are an important way for the public to influence government policy and what's debated in Parliament, and the use of petitions should be extended. Um, they didn't think petitions should be able to kind of push things through, ignoring politicians. They thought politicians are important, um, but they did think that uh, politicians should take petitions seriously. Um, and then in terms of ideal ways of, pe of people having impact, we asked, uh, thinking about how an ideal democracy works, should people be able to have more impact by doing one thing or another? And again, people saw uh, two of the things on this list. And essentially, people like representative processes, like, represent, uh, like uh, referendums. I mean, representative in the sense that everyone can take part. Um, uh, voting in elections, taking part in consultations, citizens' assemblies. Whether the, whereas they're very skeptical about money in politics, uh, social media, the media in general, protests as well. Uh, more skeptical of these forms of participation. And then just finally, um, this is from the citizens' assembly. 
Um, so 98% of the members of the Citizens' Assembly supported the resolution. We believe that the UK <coughs> as a whole has to become more engaged, UK public, more engaged with the existing opportunities to influence our representative system, but we don't think that will happen unless people have more reason to believe that they can make a difference. And they followed that up with quite a few recommendations, um, specific recommendations. Some of those related to we need better education and better information about politics. So just an, as an example, the education systems across the UK need to give more focus to educating young people and lifelong learners to be political citizens, ensuring they understand the system and the opportunities they have to influence decision making. So that's a very small snapshot of <laughs> some of our findings. Thank you very much, Alan. Uh, thanks for setting the scene. And nicely done, I think. Um, Catherine, one of the counter arguments that we sometimes come up when we talk about public engagement in our constitution and political institutions is specifically around MPs. And aren't MPs just meant to be representing their constituents? So how do you find the balance of doing your job as an MP but trying to get public engagement and feed into what you're doing? Gosh, so, I mean, there was a huge amount that you covered there, and I find it quite interesting that we're discussing this tonight, and I almost come with a few different hats on. I come as um, an MP for my particular local area where I live and represent the people in that area, and that is a very different body of work to the work I then do in Parliament as chair of a cross-party committee that um, serves the House, really, serves the House of Commons, and serves the petitioners that contact us. And I also come with the hat on of a citizen of this country that also shouts at the telly sometimes. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've been in opposition since 2010, so not in government and not making um, many of the decisions that um, I don't agree with. So, um, you know, I can see this from, from, from all of those angles, but whatever's most helpful to you, um, I would think, I mean, petitioning, um, if we start there, is as old as um, it's been allowed, really. Um, I've got uh, 1669 is the very first um, right to petition. And over history, most petitions have been about our constitution, which is why I think it's uh, really good that we're having this conversation tonight about where our constitution goes, because I think petitioning has been a big part of how our constitution has evolved. And many petitions were around voter rights, um, the right to be elected and not have to hold um, property in order to take part in politics, universal suffrage. Um, and these are the issues that I think people with no voice have used petitions to gain that voice within our political system, which is why it's interesting today that petitions are still so popular, even though you would argue that many of those arguments have been won and we have universal suffrage um, and there are no bars to standing for political office, um, strictly speaking, although clearly there are many obstacles and hurdles on, along the way. Um, but I do think petitioning is as popular as it has ever been. So. What that means for our constitution and our democracy, I think, is a really interesting topic of discussion mm -hmm. um, tonight. But, you know, as um, as a constituency MP, I absolutely agree with all of the you know the issues that you outlined that are the key issues that interest and and concern my constituents. The things that we get petitions about are really varied. They go from major issues of national concern that we get. Um, I mean, for example, Brexit was our largest ever petition, six million signatories on that. Um, no, the non-proroguing of Parliament, that received um, the second largest number of signatures. So major constitutional issues still draw people into petitioning Parliament. Um, but there are very strict rules about petitions. You can't petition Parliament about something that Parliament can't do something about. So you can't just petition on things that bother you, but the Parliament doesn't have the power to do something with. We only accept petitions that actually, yes, we'll debate this issue, and we have the power to do something about it. And I think that does m ensure people feel empowered to participate and keen to participate in that. But we also get petitions about the most obscure things. Um, we get a lot of animal rights petitions. We get a lot of... Um, I mean, we had one recently, it was really shocking to me that we even had it, um, child bed poverty, um, abolish, uh, um, end child bed poverty. I mean, the idea that 
we even have it, never mind should be having a debate about how to abolish it, was quite shocking to me. But we held that debate and, 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 and issues like that continue to be debated um, as part of the petitions process. Um, but the, the, I guess the main thing for me is that it's a challenge because we're not in government. The petitions committee can decide to allow something to be debated. We can hold the government to account and make sure they answer the issue and address it, but we can't make the government decide what to do about it. And I think for petitioners, sometimes that can be incredibly frustrating. So whether the petitions process um, can tangibly be measured in terms of outcomes or whether giving that voice to people that perhaps they don't find elsewhere in our democracy. So their local MP doesn't respond to their emails. They don't know other people in their area that care about this issue. But once they sign a petition, you find that there are actually at least 100,000 people dotted around the country that care about this issue. And that collective voice is found. Um, or whether actually it's about achieving an outcome and changing something. Um, it, that's all, I think, an interesting um, topic to discuss because quite often I do have some very tangible examples of things we have changed and I'm quite proud when we do but actually they are minor compared to giving voice to people and and giving people a way of speaking directly to parliament that they don't necessarily have any other way and I think that's something we take very seriously as a committee and, and as a chair to give that voice to people. Great, thank you. Um, Tatton, you set up Simple Politics in 2015. So I wondered about your reflections on uh, public understanding of uh, constitutional issues and political issues uh, over that time that you've been working on it. Thank you. Um, I, I was laughing on the train up here because uh, the table next to me were drinking beer and having an animated discussion about the level and standard of crisps that was available to them on that table. And um, one of them was disgusted, disgusted by the lack of Pringles. Um, he was outraged. What he wasn't outraged about was the state of supermarket management, right? Supermarket management didn't go near his brain. Well, I didn't ask him, but probably. Probably it didn't go near his brain. And simple politics exists at the crisp end of polit the political marketplace. Um, so do people who follow simple politics want politicians to be more honest? I'm definitely pointing at you, Alan, not you, because that, that, <laughs> there, there was no tarnished brush there. Um, of, course, of course they do. Do they see that as a constitutional matter? Certainly not. They are engaged by issues as, as, as they go. I mean, I set up some policies in 2015, which was quite a fortuitous time to set up a politics engagement project, because um, we then had you know, Brexit, and then Brexit fallout, then the general election, then another general election, and then COVID, and then um, like three prime ministers in 25 minutes, right? <coughs> so we, it's all been going on. And people do come to us when they find elsewhere the coverage is full of words like constitution. They come to us when elsewhere the word citizenship. I mean, I, I've been involved with citizenship in schools and nothing fills a young person's heart with doom more than the word citizenship. Um, maybe maths, I don't know. Um, we, these terms that we can use on this panel, that everyone in this room can use and bandy about, they are so counterproductive when we're talking to regular people. And that's what, I mean, that's why, um, like, you know, yeah, I'm going to show off. I've got a million followers on uh, social media and they come to me because I'm not that. So is there more awareness of, con of, of constitutional affairs, constitutional issues? I think there is because the constitution's been out there so much because, you know, we, 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 
there are some people who comment on every post that it's because we've left the EU. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not sure. But people get very fixated on that as, and, and this constitutional issue. Um, you know, today we've had uh, an inquiry into Rishi Sunak maybe not having announced that his wife has shares and like all that stuff. That's a constitutional issue. People don't like it. So people are, I think, are generally more aware of the issues in the last eight years, but they still hate the idea of the, const the Constitution. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, on that, and picking up on something that you said, Catherine, whose role is it, do we think, to ensure people can communicate with this or, or we have a similar type of language? Or whose role is it to ensure that people can engage? And one of the things I think about that you sort of mentioned was the petitions committee, so the ones that don't get through because they haven't under people haven't understood the role of Parliament and exactly what its remit is. And often with MPs' offices, you hear that people contact them but it's actually a local government issue so is it parliament's role to to do this better is it i mean <laughs> um that's a big question and I, I mean i would say as a member of parliament i feel like it's my role mm. to make politics accessible so um, for example as a constituency mp if i'm ever invited to a school i absolutely will move everything to do that because i think i remember growing up in newcastle and Parliament feeling, well, London feeling a million miles away. So I like to take Parliament into, and, and you know, I would love it if every single child in my constituency had at least one opportunity to see me in their school, um, just so that they can feel when they look at the telly, it's not a million miles away, there's a real person and, um, and sort of present politics in a really, simple way and I completely agree with you um, that we need to demystify it and, and make it straightforward for people um, I think that um, it's incumbent on politicians to be really transparent about what they do and how they work and what their priorities are so that people can feel more um, closer to politics and relate to it but I don't think you can expect that of everybody I don't think it's necessarily everyone's um, forte so I think the government, yes, has a role in making sure we have citizenship education or, or just engagement education. Like, because the, the examples I give to young people is, um, you know, every, when you sitting in this room, there are rules and laws about literally every aspect of it. The temperature of the room, the way the foundations are built, the way the um, insulation in the walls, the type of bulbs we use, the wiring, everything is regulated. There's laws surrounding everything we do and that's what happens in parliament and that's why it matters so if you care about literally anything in the world then you care about politics and that's how it works so i just think um to gain every child at school needs to get that sense that a it matters and b they can do something about it and i think that's where petitions in recent years i hope we've worked really hard to actually engage in schools as well so for example when we had the online harms we had a big petition on that there was a lot of work going on in parliament it's pretty complex it's quite challenging but we specifically targeted young people in schools to give us their feedback on how they experience being online and abuse because we had so many petitions about homophobic abuse disability abuse and young people um, want to see change. So rather than speaking to um, experts, obviously we did speak to some experts, but we also went to schools and engaged with young people because as a cross-party committee, we can do that. It's not party political. It's about politics and changing the way we do things. So um, I think there's a huge amount that politicians and parliament and government can do, but I don't think we can do it on our own. I think it's brilliant that we've got all this work going on. But shouldn't you be doing it on your own? All right, come on. <laughs> shouldn't you? Because, because at the moment, the communications being put out by your party, by other parties, is the attack adverts. When it could be, they could be spending that money on being clearer about what they want, their vision for the future, engaging with young people, engaging with grown-ups on a Pringles level, <laughs> rather than, that's got a technical term now, so um, buckle up, um, rather than these attack adverts, and the, goodness me, the work you do as a Member of Parliament on petitions is 
so brilliant, every day scrutinizing, getting in there, just making small changes to big bills that will have that impact on all the laws that you were talking about. But no one sees that. No one sees that good work, and that's because it's not shouted about. And the things that are shouted about are attack adverts about whether someone's soft on crime or not. And there's that disconnect. Simple politics shouldn't exist. Should, like, I set up simple politics in 2015 because I had a breakdown. I had a divorce and a breakdown. I couldn't do anything else. I had to quit teaching. And, and yet, no one else is doing that communication. Mm. And shouldn't it be up to parliament and government to be doing that kind of thing? Well, so in a sense, politics is not all about government, and rightly so. It's about people. It's about, um, I think, there's a huge amount of power that rests in government, but actually pushing that power out to local areas, pushing it out to local people, making people feel more empowered, I actually think is a really important part of politics, and that's where I think petitioning um, meets um, you know, power of government meets power of petitioners and all of those voices. And um, so, you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I actually think there is a huge role for government to play. I'm not in government and I don't speak mm -hmm. for government. There's a huge role for political parties to play, absolutely. But I actually think it, it can't all be done by government and politicians. I think it has to be um, done through people power and people feeling empowered. And I think you can try and give power, but I think power also needs to be taken. And we need to find that way to empower people to take the power that they have. And I, and I do think understanding the roots to getting things done is, um, is often the, the biggest barrier to people. So when you say, I, I wouldn't know how to do it, I think, or mm. I think it was you that said that, I wouldn't know how to do it. And that, there is so much mystique in political parties about how you even navigate your way through to become an elected representative. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for encouraging people to get involved and um, trying to demystify some of that so that people can see the route to power. And it may or may not be what they, what they want when they work out how, but it shouldn't, the challenge shouldn't be working it out. The challenge should be whether that's the right thing for you. Mm. So, you know, I agree with you. I think there's a big role to play there for um, political parties and the government through education. Mm. And not just education. Uh, sorry, Re Rebecca's going to... No, that's good. <laughs> you want to move on. But, uh, no. but I, I, there's also a really important role for active listening mm. on the part of politicians. And I think often people feel that you know, they're saying things and, and government in particular is not listening. And it's not just the current government. I mean, my, and it's not just not listening to the public. It's also not list, government not, not listening to parliament um, or not demonstrating that it's listening to parliament. My colleague Meg Russell is, of course, world expert on parliament. And uh, you know, a lot of her research shows that um, a lot of work takes place in parliament uh, through select committees and so on. And government kind of responds in a fairly dismissive way. But then it does the things that the select committees yeah. have, re have recommended. Yeah. And somehow, government wants not to admit that it got the idea from somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, it do doesn't, doesn't say, hey, this is a really good idea. But you know, if government engaged more with you and said, well, there's really interesting stuff coming from these committees, you know, even if it was going to do these things anyway, <laughs> um, actually, a bit of positive active listening would, mm. would do wonders, I think. Mm. I agree. On, on that, Ellen, one of the things that we talk about in terms of public engagement is the public aren't a homogenous group and some parts of the population are harder to access or engage with than others. Is there anything that's come out of the work that you've done on how we can ensure that um, more people from across the population do feel that they can access it, engage, or is there anything that came out of some of the assembly work? Well, um, and what comes out from the assembly work is often that actually we exaggerate the degree to which there are different perceptions in different parts of the population. Mm. You know, often we think, particularly over the last seven years, that we have this very polarized politics and we have a world in which there are, you know, there's one camp and there's the other camp and they, they fight, fight each other. On the whole, they have very similar views on how politics should work and what's wrong with politics. Uh, you know, they, they've all been despairing over the last, or, or, or well, um, for the year up to uh, 
the end of October last year. Um, so, so we shouldn't exaggerate the differences in terms of what people's perceptions of the issues are. Um, but we also crucially have to engage with Tatton's point that um, most people are not wonks like us and it is vital to uh, engage people effectively um, with these issues. So I, I, I guess I would, I, I think the main, the main point is, is Tatton's point about communicating effectively. And um, I suppose one other point that I would make in relation to that is, is co effective communication isn't just about uh, the, 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 the particular instance of communication in itself, because that could be wonderful, but if no one sees it, then it's not going to make any difference. Mm -hmm. So it's also about ensuring that that communication is effective, uh, sorry, is accessible. Um, and at the moment, I think we have a real problem that, you know, there are a few um, private initiatives, such as Simple Politics, and, and, and there are others as well, that are doing great not work. Not as good. <laughs> there are others that are doing slightly different things um, that are doing great work um, there are other pockets of great information I see some, uh, some people from the Electoral Commission today and the Electoral Commission is uh, you know, ramping up the amount of information that it provides basic information on elections which I think is really important as well um, but it's quite fragmented and it's really hard for people to find the good stuff uh, and finding some way of helping people find the good stuff, I think, would be helpful. I don't know what it is, but I think yeah. it would be helpful. Um, Tatton, um, one of the things that uh, we often talk about is uh, making sure that we're considering devolution and uh, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, a lot of the things that we're doing. But, and although we've had devolution for a while, uh, it seems to be still so much understanding about amongst the public and the media and even some politicians about how it works. As a sort of translator between the people like us that talk about the constitution and the people that talk about Pringles, do you find that a particular issue in trying to convey where there might be a gap in our understanding? Devolution is a total nightmare for me because um, I'm a national, simple politics a national page. Mm. And, um, you know, our audience is from everywhere. And take, to take the time out and explain how Andy Burnham's Mayor of Manchester works, most people aren't particularly interested in that or might be mildly interested. And the way the algorithm works is that if not enough people are liking it or commenting on it, no one sees it. And so we can work hard on these things. And, you know, Scotland, it's obviously constitutionally Scotland's kind of the biggest constitutional cr crisis challenge. I'm trying to work out the best language live in front of you. Um, but again, there's just not that, there's not that many people who live in Scotland that follow us. Or, in fact, it, the total population of Scotland compared to, to England isn't as big. So... I don't get the opportunity to explain. And I'm quite grateful I don't, because I don't understand it all. So um, that's good. <laughs> could speak to some of our IFG experts. I'm I really should, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Catherine, then, is it time that we just simplified things? Is there an argument that it's OK that some of this work that we're doing in the Constitution is an elite practice and is this complicated and uh, does appear in the way it appears? Or is it that we really do need to make things more accessible by just simplifying the way that politicians work and what they do? So I, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, if, I think theoretically, I think that's quite a big question because mm. what, what are we talking about simplifying? And I think for some people you say... Um, well, we should just have more referendums on everything. Some people say that, um, which, um, no more referendums. Um, but the, the, the idea then that you would supersede decision-making with you know, plebiscites rather than democratically elected representatives for your area, um, I think there's a whole debate around that. There's a big debate around the voting system and how engaging that is and whether there should be some form of proportional representation that would make people feel more engaged, but that's definitely more complicated than first past the post. Um, so, I mean, I, just, I think that's a huge question. I think um, in many ways, politics is quite straightforward. And that's what I guess the message I try to give anyone that I talk to as a constituency MP and, and the message that we try and give as a petitions committee as well, because 
um, you know, basically, if you want something done, you go to your elected representative to try and help you achieve it. So, you know, if that's a local council issue, you go to your local councillor. If you, if it's a national government issue, or you know, on a larger scale, you go to your MP. And ideally, your MP will try and help you solve that problem. And that's something certainly I would do to anyone that came to me to try and get um, an issue solved. I know that's not necessarily the case in every constituency and with every MP, but that's, to me, that's the answer, um, that you need to elect people that will directly engage with the people that they represent because mm. that's our job. Mm. Uh, it's an interesting point about the uh, referendum sort of falling out of favour. And Alan, I wonder, obviously, you've done lots and lots of work on mm. uh, public engagement, democratic engagement. Um, referendums still fairly popular in other countries. Is that something that we are seeing in the UK, that people are looking to other types of engagement? Well, um, I mean, we have to remember, of course, that for the most part, people aren't thinking, ooh, how could we change the system and make it better? People are just thinking, oh, this is awful. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so, um, some, some, you know, some, some people would like, or at least when they're asked a survey question about it and they're prompted to think about it, some people say they would like more referendums. Other people are like Catherine and think that's a terrible idea. Um, and, and that is an issue where the Brexit divide remains, for understandable reasons, quite potent in shaping people's perceptions. But actually, again, one of the interesting things that I found with our Citizens' Assembly, where we engage people a bit more uh, in, in more depth on this issue, is that, um, if I remember correctly, 98% of the members of the Assembly agreed that if we have referendums, we need to make sure that there's good quality information yeah. available. Yeah, that's the key issue. Um, so um, I think people, when they sit down and actually think about it, understand that politics is complex and a difficult thing, and it's necessarily so. Um, and they're very frustrated that they can't get a grip on it. Um, and they really like some mechanisms to enable them to get a better grip. So we saw very strong support in the Citizens' Assembly, as I said, for citizenship education, not those words, but um, uh, that kind of thing, uh, uh, and, and a real desire to try to just help people engage um, in a more effective way. Great. Uh, just, just on the citizenship education thing, I think it's clearly, clearly important that we give people those tools when they're young people and we give them critical thinking skills so that, so that they can see their way through because the information won't always be that clear. Yeah. They need to see their way through and all of that. The danger is when you say to a whole country you're going to teach citizenship and it's going to be a subject, you're going to have teachers who aren't into it teaching it and it's going to be done badly and people will learn from day one that politics is boring and politics isn't for me and that message needs to be avoided and any statutory compulsory citizenship education is going to struggle with that with overcoming that hurdle um, so I'm not against citizenship education I wouldn't be really clear on that I just it's really problematic and I don't have the answers for it Quality control. Um, I'm aware we have a full house today in, uh, in the room, and also we have a lot of people joining online, so uh, we may all move to audience Q&A so that we have enough time to uh, pick up some questions. So for those of you in the room, if you want to get your thinking caps on, if you haven't already, uh, we're going to have a roving mic circulating with Alex in the room, um, and we'll take them in twos and threes. Uh, so if you wait for the microphone, say who you are and what organisation you're from, that would be great. If you're in the uh, innovation room next door, uh, thank you very much. Sorry, you can make the main room, uh, but do pop in, pop your head in if you've got a question, and we can take your question. Um, we have a lot of online questions, so I'm going to go to a couple of these first, just to um, make sure we get through them. Um, so uh, the first one is what from Titus Alexander. What specific proposals would you like to see in manifestos of political parties in the run-up to the next election to strengthen education and engagement in democracy, and how can we get parties to include them? Uh, the next question, which I thought was quite interesting, is from Martina Weich. Uh, the question is, where is the power? So which level of government, if any, can deal with complaints or concerns is an important question. So uh, do we need an index of the powers of different levels of government or an FAQ of what people might like to know? And uh, would that make your job easier, Tatton? 
if there was just a tick box, <laughs> you could just kind of uh, a flow chart thing. It's just, it's difficult. I mean, you, Catherine, you must get so many emails for, that should be go to the council. That like all, like most of your emails possibly should be going, going to the council. Um, but it's different in every area. So it, it, you'd have to completely, to, to make it a clear thing, you'd have to strip the whole country back and rebuild. I'm all for that. I'm for radical change of the whole system so that people know where they are more. Maybe that should be the policy I want everyone to have in their manifesto. Yeah. Just rip the whole system apart, move Parliament out while they do the repairs, because it's ludicrous that you're still in there, at the death trap of a building. Um, <laughs> rip the whole thing up, do it again, come back, come back better. That's the policy I want. That's your uh, policy. Yeah. Come back better. Come back yeah, better. Logan, come yeah. back better. Yeah. Um, uh, Catherine, yeah, any specific proposals for citizen engagement? Oh, um, so, I mean, just in response to that, mm. um, I mean, I, I do get a huge amount of issues that, well, A, are not necessarily for Parliament, um, may well be for local council, but actually the issues that affect the local council ultimately are yeah. for government. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yes, they might be the most immediate place to send someone to to try and get something resolved, but actually, if you get 10 or 15 of the, these same issues, clearly there's a governmental level policy issue there. And, and you know, I'll use housing as a key example of that, where you've got, I mean, oh my goodness, during the recent winter, the, just the level of damp that everyone was experiencing because they couldn't clearly afford to put the heating on anymore. Um, and I think that starts to become a big health issue. It starts to become, um, you know, a national government issue that needs to intervene in that. So, um, so I do think, yes, it's not straightforward, which is why I say, you know, don't, I encourage people just to shout up. Um, and, and speak up, because if you don't speak up, then the help that is there or could be there, you will never find. Um, in terms of citizenship, gosh, um, uh, I mean, I, I've come very much with my petitions hat on rather than any sort of Labour Party proposals. Um, I, I, I mean, I think as a, as a, as a committee, we will continue to um, sort of engage and reach out and I think part of what we do does help people to understand Parliament, which I think is really important. And I think we give people a gateway to Parliament that, that, um, that, that hasn't been there before. I think before we, we've done what we, what we do, which is um, we do quite a lot of um, education programs for schools that people can use and um, they can you know, play to their students. And I think by understanding petitioning, it doesn't give you everything that happens in, in, in Parliament and in politics, but it gives you a route map through that actually then helps you see what all the other route maps through might be. Um, so I actually think the petitioning process is a really powerful tool for educating. And I, I would personally love to see um, whatever, uh, you know, the, um, however it's taught, and I totally agree with the quality um, over quantity, um, I think we need to make sure it's done in a really engaging way or else it could be very counterproductive. Um, but I do think that it's a really powerful way of engaging people at uh, you know, quite a young age into parliament um, and not necessarily party politics, because I think sometimes it's party politics that put people off. And actually, I think parliament and politics is, is what people need to really understand. And then the party politics is just all the noise that goes on around that tries to get, get some of those things achieved. Alan, do you have a proposal um, for us? Uh, three. Oh, I was, I was <laughs> gonna say it's a big ask. Do you tip him off again? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so do something around education in schools and um, uh, Tatton persuades me that it is complicated. So may maybe it's some kind of review process. I, I don't know, but um, Something needs to be done there. Um, uh, improve information provision, uh, sort of basic information provision around politics, and that might simply be uh, being explicit that the Electoral Commission has an important function in ensuring that information about elections uh, is readily available uh, and people can get the information that they want. Um, and then thirdly, bigger one in some ways, um, 
choose a policy issue where you're going to model a different way of having a policy discussion, uh, where you're going to have a citizens' assembly or a series of citizens' assemblies embedded into a series of processes of local engagement and discussion um, in order to have a more deliberative and thoughtful engagement uh, uh, discussion that engages politicians and the public uh, together. Uh, and quite what that issue might be, I'm not sure. It needs to be an issue where whoever is in government is willing to take seriously what comes from that process. Uh, uh, so it's not, it needs not to be something where they already have very strong policies. Um, but a, an issue that is, you know, an important issue where quite what the right path forward is not very clear, but politicians know they have to do something. Uh, so it might be properly funding social care, it might be housing, uh, you know, th there are a range of potential issues that you could do that on. And for a government to take such a process seriously and investigate, you know, does it really work if we try to do this properly, um, could be a fantastic way of starting towards a different way of engaging the public in, in politics. You want to rip it up and come back better? <laughs> I think you have a slogan there for when you launch those policies. Um, okay, we can turn to the room now. So we've got a couple of hands here. Uh, if we come to stand up in the front row. Tom Brake, uh, Director of Unlock Democracy. Uh, we campaign for a written constitution for the United Kingdom. Um, Alan put up uh, his chart, and it's clear that people are concerned about things that could be resolved by a constitution, I would argue. Mm. In what way can we harness that interest and convert it into uh, an appetite for that sort of change? Great, thank you. And this uh, lady in there. Yes. Thank you. My name is Jacqueline Castles. Uh, a quick point on education. Uh, last year, a couple of letters in West Ed Extra, I think, uh, commented on somebody was outraged that the Queen decided on legislation. Mm. That's an observation, I think, of some way to go in education. But actually, what I wanted to ask, particularly Catherine, is on pressure groups, which is one thing everybody seems to have missed, because that seems to me, apart from being important in themselves, uh, people who don't want to join a party political uh, campaign of any kind. Uh, and that, so that would be the transition from being at home kicking something to going there and trying to do something about it. Great, thank you. And one more. Well, oh, directly behind you. That's, that's a nice, easy one. Cheers. Uh, Sam Hadfield. I just had a quick question. It, it seems there's a slight discrepancy between what you're saying, Catherine, about empowering people and then having people take that power, and then what you're saying, Tatton, about how simple politics shouldn't exist. And I, I'm just quite curious to get your opinion on that, Catherine, about whether um, politics should be seen as something that you know you have to go out and get, or whether it's something that should just happen as part of daily life. So it shouldn't be educated, it should be a part of living, essentially. Thank you. Alan, would you like to pick up on the first question? Uh, thank you, yeah. So, I, I mean, you're absolutely right that just because most people don't see the attraction of a written constitution is no argument against having a written constitution. Um, uh, I'm, I'm fairly skeptical, actually, that uh, the, the effort required in order to produce a fully written constitution would be justified by the potential gains, but that, that's a whole other debate. Um, and the question you asked is, how could we have a process that would um, help people see the, the potential gains um, of having a written constitution? I mean, in some sense, you're the expert on that rather than me, because it's a matter of uh, how, how do you campaign for 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 um, uh, for a written constitution, but um, you know, if 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 the one issue that we picked uh, for for having a more deliberative political process was how do we sort our politics, how do we sort our democracy, uh, then you know you could potentially have an interesting conversation around that that was was. Um, uh, where space was created for it by government, uh, but clearly you would have to make sure that uh, space was created for the full range of different perspectives <coughs> uh, 
uh, on that on that debate. But uh, yeah, you'll you'll have to campaign to get that as the issue, um, and and then maybe it can go forward. Uh, Catherine, there was the question about the role of pressure groups. Yeah. So, in some ways, um, the two issues are very linked um, because I think you're absolutely right. Um, for many people, they may want to campaign on an issue rather than a sort of party political agenda, and and really come together on those issues. And obviously, there are big campaigning tools now online, in particular, um, where you know <coughs> if, a, if a campaign starts um, and. You, we, we get many, many emails. I'm sure some of you have tapped in and put your postcode in and it's, you know, contacted your MP. And um, there are some MPs that take the position that they don't reply to them. Um, I mean, we, we obviously keep a very careful record because for me, the number of people that contact me about that issue, even if it's a standard email, um, they care enough to have gone online and sent that email. So that's all power to, um, I mean, generally, for, you know, obviously I'm an opposition MP, so it generally opposes the government. Um, and so that's all power to the elbow to go and raise that issue, you know, because you've had 386 constituents who are concerned about that issue. And, and we keep very careful records of that because I think, you know, it's not a numbers game, but it is, uh, um, it is, I think, incumbent on each one of those people that have sent me one of those emails to know that it matters. It does. It does make a difference. It does change how MPs behave, and the the, the volume of people that contact you. And obviously, the petition system works the same. You know, ten thousand signatures, you get a response from government. Hundred thousand, we debate the issue. Um, and I and I do think that the numbers matter. Um, but on the sort of slight contradiction that you've picked up, I don't really, I don't have a clear answer. What one thing that struck me just as we've been talking is that um, many MPs will go, so, you know, th this Saturday, I spent knocking on doors in my constituency. So going to talk to people where they live about how they feel politics is going. And, um, and so they, are, they have not woken up that morning and thought, I want to, um, you know, I'm shouting at the telly and I want to give my view to someone. They're people literally just making their breakfast, open the door, and then um, are generally always really happy to um, say hello and give their thoughts. And that way you get the views of people who are not politically motivated. They're not activists. They're not necessarily part of a pressure group. They haven't responded to um, a survey because they're interested in the constitution. They just give us their thoughts. And, and I think that's something perhaps people aren't aware of that most politicians do on quite a regular basis, go and knock on doors in their constituency and see how the land lies and see what people think. And I think that's a really important way, for, important thing to do for two reasons. One, um, it helps me understand where people are at. So, you know, I might think everything's going really well and they might tell me otherwise. Um, it helps them to know that politics is a local thing. It's right on their doorstep. It, it lives in their area and, 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 and wants to listen. Um, but also, thirdly, they are not a self-selecting group of people who have got actively engaged in something. They are, have been reached out to as part of the political process. And I think that's really important. So whilst it doesn't answer your question, and I get um, that uh, I, don't, I don't think politics can ever be done one way. I think it always has to be done two ways. And I think um, quite often people feel politics is done to them. And I, I agree, people should feel like they are part of a, of a system that they are actively engaged in, whether it's party political or appears political, or it's just being part of a community and being a citizen. Um, and I think people, you're right, people should feel that regardless, but actually I, I think the, the risk is I don't think people do. And I think that um, being actively present and going and reaching out to people, I do think is a way of um, making sure people do feel that way. I do think online has changed our politics massively. And I don't think we've caught up really in some of the impacts of that. Um, and obviously you're sort of harnessing it from a, you know, identifying that people just want something a bit more simplified and online's the way to achieve that. Um, I think 
the, uh, the, the downside risk with online is that it is a very self-selecting group of people again, and there are a whole group of people that will pay no attention to any of it, and politics can then just feel done to them and they're not actively engaged. So it's how we reach all of those groups, and I think there needs to be lots of different solutions to that. Um, we can take another round of questions. Uh, if anybody else in the room has their hands up, the gentleman here in the front. So my question is going to be about devolution. So I'm John Pullinger, currently at the Electoral Commission, so thank you for the name-checking, Alan. But my question stems from my experience when I worked on public engagement in the House of Commons. And we were trying to dramatically improve the engagement that the Westminster Parliament had uh, at a time when the Scottish, Welsh and Northern Ireland um, institutions had been set up with public engagement embedded in the way they were designed, buildings were designed, the whole way in which the political system was designed, the chambers were designed and, and everything. And you see the difference when you, when you, when you go to each of them. Um, and I just, my question is, how can we institutionalise the learning between the parliaments? Mm -hmm. And each of them have done different things in different ways. And most recently in the Senate, the, the constitutional reform agenda there has been done with a, quite a thoughtful public engagement process in mind, both in terms of getting to the conclusions, but how they're going to follow through on them. So my question is, how do we learn from each other much more mm -hmm. effectively? Great, thank you. And again in the room, we have uh, Alex, there's a woman just there, straight ahead, behind, hand up. Perfect. Hi, uh, uh, Louise Crow from My Society. I guess my question really follows on from the previous one, and it's, do we need new institutions? So in Germany, there's a state-funded agency whose job it is to engage people in politics and in democracy, and it's a modern institution. It works digitally and through other means. Is that something we need in the UK? Mm, great, thank you. Uh, I think we'll just take those two. So any of the panellists? particularly want to pick up on we've got uh, how can we institutionalize learning between the parliaments I mean I could say something just very quickly mm. that I think they're both just two great suggestions yeah <laughs> um, that, that like rather than how does definitely we should do it I mean I know like as a petitions committee we we sort of work with petitions committees um, in in the devolved administrations um, to, to make sure we we get some learning from that um, but I mean I completely um, you know, I think the issue about sort of referendums and um, information, I think that's a key issue and something that I think we can learn from other democracies that do that much more effectively and have much more civilised um, and uh, well-informed debate um, around some of those big issues. And I think some of that comes from um, the sort of institutions that they have in place that enable that. So I, I, do, I, I, don't, I don't say yes but I say they're both very good suggestions and I think ones that we should take away, but there may be things that you've looked at. Well, yeah, um, particularly the German example. I mean, they do fantastic things around elections. They, they run one of these things called a voting advice application where um, you go online and you can answer various questions about your own preferences about policy and then it will uh, indicate to you where the, other po where the various political parties lie in relation to your own preferences uh, and you can kind of explore the, the party uh, manifestos and compare them with each other uh, through that tool. Um, which is fantastic. I, I, I see just next to you is Michaela Pelezzi, who uh, was uh, another of my research assistants, who, uh, wh whom I worked with on a project where um, Michaela did uh, some interviews with uh, people in Germany looking at exactly at this. The, the thing in, in the UK is, um, imagine if this thing produced something that um, more rabid bits of the press found inconvenient for their agenda then they would trash it. Mm. Uh, and, and similarly, politicians of any stripe who found that they disliked what it was coming up with would trash it. So in Germany, it was founded just after the Second World War, and uh, it, it was in a very, very different context. And it was possible for that institution to build up its re reputation, and now it, you know, it is seen as being impartial and greatly respected. The difficulty in the UK is how do we create an institution that is respected in that way? Mm. Uh, and it doesn't just become yet another victim of populist um, discourse. Uh, and I think probably part of the solution is build it up slowly. Um, you know, start with something 
uh, very gentle, uh, with, with, with really um, kind of basic information provision. Uh, and then as, as confidence in that builds, then potentially you can get into information that might be a little bit more uh, uh, open to uh, challenge from uh, uh, people who, who, who want to cause trouble. Uh, or, who, or who find it inconvenient. Um, but, but you have to go very carefully. Otherwise, you don't end up actually managing to create something useful. Mm. Can I just add mm -hmm. prickly? The, um, the evidence for what you're saying in the UK is that a lot of parliamentary outreach is based around Big Ben. Um, and you have Parliament Week, where people are encouraged, I kid you not, to bake Big Ben cookies, and then those numbers are added to the Parliament Week. Look how many people have engaged with Parliament. So that's where we're at because everyone's terrified of being anything. of saying anything with parliamentary money, whatever right wing woke, whatever agenda they, whoever it is perceives. So they get stuck on Big Ben. <laughs> I hate Big Ben with <laughs> such a passion. Um, in terms of the institutions, I, I think digital first. I think working together on something, the Parliament website is awful. This being redone recently, but still the links don't, I mean, it's awful. The government website is awful. All the different departments, they're awful. There's nowhere to come together. You've convinced me today that maybe it's not for government to do that thing. You've, you've, you've kind of changed my mind. Maybe simple politics should exist. Um, <laughs> but it needs to be digital first and engage people where they are in a useful way. Thank you. Unfortunately, that is all we've got time for. Um, but yeah, that was a brilliant discussion. Thank you all. Uh, thank you, Alan, Catherine and Tatton for turning up to this evening. Uh, thank you, everyone, for coming in the room and for watching online. Uh, we'll also have a video and sound recording available on the IFG website shortly after this. Our next public event is on the 19th of April, uh, titled How Can the Government Tackle Obesity? So do be sure to sign up for that. Um, also, please do check out the work of the IFG and the Bennett Institute uh, review of the UK Constitution that we're working on. Uh, we're publishing our original research, including a report on the constitutional and political considerations for electoral reform that we're working on. It's coming out shortly. And we have guest papers from leading academics and experts, including our most recent one on devolving English government, which has some pretty fun maps in it. Uh, so do take a look at that. Uh, but yeah, join us for drinks and canapes on the landing. We can continue the discussion. But uh, thank you very much to the panellists. There we go.